So where are you in the space shuttle? Uh, this is my new studio. Ooh, ooh, that's fancy pantsy, man. Uh, look, it's, it's not like a Florida nightclub like Jay's. No, <laughs> Jay's is kind of like a Florida nightclub, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, all he's missing is the uh, mafia. Hey everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. Hi. Gosh, Brent's always gonna, he's probably going to get me murdered. Don't make fun of the mafia. You can make fun of a lot of stuff, but not the mafia. That's That that could have consequences. Hi, everybody. So um, I'm glad you're here. It's always exciting to hang out with you. And uh, it's always exciting to do the podcast. It's, it's, it's getting more spring-like uh, where I live. And you know, if you follow this podcast at all, that uh, that's all I kind of do is wait for spring to happen. This year's a little different, too, because, you know, being at home so much, which uh, if I haven't told you in the last three minutes, I'm digging. Uh, it's I'm really looking forward to, to getting the old TV on the uh, front porch. You know, the, the lazy boys, the outdoor, la- they're not indoor lazy boys. That would be so gauche. They're outdoor lazy boys all lined up. I got got my heater. I got, I'm ready. I'm ready to go outside and uh, enjoy some air, some nice, fresh air, and hang out and, you know, watch Hulu or Netflix or the news. or mu- Mostly it's now I'm really into YouTube music video things, which uh, you can just go a long way. I mean, you can. So the guy I really like right now is called Billy Strings. And I don't know how to describe Billy Strings except to tell you that He's this amazing guitar player, and he's it's just his whole affect. The way he plays, it's, uh, it's, he's really fun to watch. And he does everything from, from the Grateful Dead to he does all this really interesting. You can definitely tell he was into his father. He's very young. He was into his father's music because he does all this interesting, like Jackson Brown, and, and, uh, it's, and then all the bluegrass that you could squeeze into your ear holes he's doing. And so that's fun, but it's kind of, you get in these little, I don't know, what do they call them? YouTube holes. You know, you watch one and then you think, oh, I can watch that one. And then you watch another one and then something else comes on. And before you know it, the uh, afternoon has gone away, completely gone. Just there it is, gone. And everything on your to-do list is not due. It's all due. You just haven't done it. And so that's been part of uh, the joy of, of, resurfacing and understanding how to uh, nest a little in the home, which has been fun. That's been really interesting. It's been, uh, the week's been pretty crazed. I don't know how you guys are doing, but it's, things are starting to um, happen. And I'm so interested. I've always been interested in this idea, how we bounce forward out of this thing. And, and I've noticed that that's exactly what's happening. And that makes me really happy because if we don't learn from really what we've been through, well, then we're idiots. Uh, we've already established that. But I think changing is also a really important part of learning. And going back to the way we used to do things, like the administrative burden we would place on people, on ourselves. I mean, we should talk about that one first. Quite remarkable. And I'm watching a lot of that kind of fly away. And I'm proud of you guys because you have to be brave to do that. 
because it feels like you're sort of giving up some kind of control, even though I would suggest um, that's probably not a very good control by any definition. Because rules, as you're going to find out in the introduction to Brent's podcast, rules are meant to be broke. Rules at best are voluntary. At best are voluntary. And that given the right opportunity to break a rule, there's something satisfying and efficient about breaking a rule, which makes rules kind of a crappy control. But that's really not the point of today's podcast. The point of today's podcast is to really talk to Brent about something he said that really captured my attention. And I think he said it in an interview or so. Somehow I was exposed to this this nugget of wisdom. And the nugget of wisdom is pretty simple when you think about it. I just had never thought about it. And that's the idea that talking gives context to doing. And uh, and that's probably a pretty smart thing to say because in talking to workers about what they do, understanding sort of the blue line, as it were, what you're doing is you're really understanding the local rationale, the, the thinking behind what's happening. And that is valuable because that helps you build stronger, better, more robust and resilient systems in which to do high risk critical work. And well, that's, that is what we do. That's our jam. That's, that's, that's how it happens. And so I, I, I jumped to the opportunity to get Brent on a pod, which is always, it's, it's a little bit like herding cats a little because Brent is nothing if he's not stream of consciousness but it's a good stream of consciousness. And I wanted to see if I could direct that stream into a little conversation about really what they're thinking and doing in this operational learning space, which is interesting because we're having sort of a theme of operational learning happening. You'll see it's a, it's a part of it. And really the more you look at operational learning and the more you understand the vitalness of, is that a word? I should look that up really quick. I think it must be a word. The, the, the vitality, that's probably a better form of that, uh, of operational learning in actually helping us become better, more reliable, more resilient. That's a pretty powerful tool. And it's always there. I mean, the, that's the coolest part about this is the world's experts in your processes and systems already work for you. They're already there. They're, they're there right now hanging out, using your processes and systems, complaining about some of them, loving others, but it's all a part of the bigger picture that we call the environment in which we work. And Brent's a good person to have this conversation with because, well, the Kiwi accent alone makes it worthwhile listening to unless you're in New Zealand, and then it's going to sound like you're home. But then if you're in New Zealand, my accent is probably really interesting. So, you know, we can sort of, there's give and takes on both sides of this. But let's take some time and listen to what Brent has to say. I think you'll find this podcast, well, quite honestly, I think you'll find this very useful. And I don't say that all the time. Some of them are just fun. This one's fun and it's interesting, but there's also quite a bit here. So sit back and relax. This, my friends, is the great Brent Sutton on learning. So talk, talk gives context to doing. Tell me what you yes, mean. Yes. Tell me, tell me where you, that came from. That seems that seems incredibly brilliant. Oh yeah, I'm recording. I, I, I'm always recording. Don't you record? Uh, only when only when it's comfortable for you. 
<laughs> oh, see, I yeah, I'm I'm different that way. I start recording and then I choose the what what I think is interesting. Not really. I don't really edit very much. You can tell that. Talk gives context to doing. Tell me more. Yeah, look, look, it was we had this little lucid moment. Um, we just finished Todd doing a, a wrap up of the virtual tour of Down Under, where we um, very lucky to interview a, a group of people across um, Australia about learning teams. And of course, one of your very good friends, um, Deirdre Lewis, appeared on the show as well. I think she was on your episode three hundred and fifteen. Oh, that's impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. Really? You know the episode numbers? I, I know all your episode numbers. Jeez Louise, get a hobby. <laughs> exactly. I'm your, I'm your number one stalker. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, and, yes, Deidre is dear friend. She's amazing. And Deidre, we, we were talking this theme about um, this whole concept about sharing versus learning with learning teams. Right. It's really easy to get people to share information on the learning team. But what they were finding is that if something doesn't happen as a result of that sharing, then why would people want to share next time? Yeah, absolutely. It's a social contract in a way. It's an intervention. That's a good way to look right. at it. Okay, so far so good. I like this conversation. So therefore, when we thought about what are the what what do those learnings look like? We also discovered that those learnings don't always actually have to lead to improvement. And that's where we talked about this notion of organizational alignment. Yeah. Where maybe those learnings um, could also be looking to look at the um, efficacy of the system. But, but let me interrupt you long enough to ask this question. Isn't organizational alignment and efficacy itself an improvement? Uh, it's probably an improvement process. Well, I would say it's an improvement. Uh, it's just not a, it's not a physical difference in operations, but it's, yeah, it's a, not an action. But, it, but it's, it definitely gives context to doing, oh, I see where this, oh, you're oh. leading me down a little path. Oh, yeah, I see. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Please go. Please continue. You've got, the, you've got the background in organizational psychology, not me. Um, <laughs> so, so the concept was that, we need to make sure that there is a doing component to the learning team. And that when we think about organizational alignment, that that actually forms part of an assurance process for an organization. And that assurance process is focusing on successful work, not on failure. And that also then led into this conversation that people are raising questions about the cost justification of running a learning team. So that put the whole focus around efficacy. I find that interesting that cost has become an issue because they're, they're just so cheap. I mean, they're not expensive. And I think what, we, what we're seeing is that as learning teams become normal practice, the financial people start to question their value because they have to see things in a tangible perspective. Well, and I would add to that because I think you're onto something that's worth talking about is that the more you do this learning to create capacity, 
right, either psychological capacity or actual capacity or operational capacity, the less things happen that are off normal. So therefore, with the absence of a null set, the less you need to do the learning team. So let me give you an example of what I mean. I just got a call from um, my friend. I wonder if I should say his name. Uh, He's a physician, and he works a lot with um, mothers delivering babies. And he developed a, a, a program. I don't, the technical stuff's really hard. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to do a good job. But basically, he has blood available in the delivery room in a special refrigerator because if uh, something bad happens during the delivery, a mother can bleed to death in very quick time. I mean, like scary, frightening amount of time. And he's gone even with a process where he can do arterial blockage. He can block the artery and stop the bleeding. And he, he said they only need this about 10% of the time, but when they need it, they need it, which is the thing about preparatory capability is when you need it, you need it. And if you need it and don't have it, you can't get it. And so they started doing this a couple of years ago and it's been incredibly successful. So Brent, that the hospital is now questioning the cost of it because they're not having these um, fatal deliveries because the mothers are not dying. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a really interesting story for us to think about because when you take away the null set, when you take away the accident, then paying for capacity becomes uh, uh, organizationally often seen by the, I believe you call them bean counters. Um, the yeah. bean counters uh, as as an expense without much justification. That's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, we feel that focusing that whole process around um, efficacy of those mitigations or barriers or controls um, gives value to the process. It, it does. I mean, there's no question. And, and I would make a case, although I'm going to run counter to what you're saying, but that's why we're here is that I actually think learning is a value. Learning is an improvement. Whether learning translates to action, uh, it's hard to imagine um, what knowing something changes because all the things you didn't do because you took the time to do this learning team, it would be hard to measure that. But yet I would guess organizations get better. I know teams get better, work groups get better by just taking time to sort of create a feedback loop. But I'm not arguing. I mean, I, I actually think what you're saying is really, really important, that talking gives context it. to doing. I mean, in a way, talking is the foundation upon which doing is built. Uh, correct. Well, I mean, con- context is king. And I think you raise an interesting point, Todd, because there's a big difference between what the organization learns from a learning team versus what workers learn. And can I add to that that there's a big difference in the organizational memory versus the worker's memory? And mm-hmm. that organizations themselves do not have very good memories. They they don't they don't tend to remember things very well, but workers have stunningly good memories. They remember stuff we don't want them to remember. He yeah. says Tom. I think organizations G. can only remember if they have version control or if it's bad. Right, and I'm not even, and I'm not, not even sure. So I would agree, version control is a form, formal way of of tracking learning, 
but I'm not even sure bad things stay around very long. We have really short little attention spans as organizations. I remember I, I, I uh, dealing with a fatal number of years ago, um, there was a strong sense like two years later of what's called organizational denial. Yeah. Don't, don't revisit the you, event. Don't acknowledge it. Yeah, and you, I see that a lot, actually. The other thing I see yeah. is kind of cultural skepticism, which is also kind of a function of the lack of, of, uh, of the ability to remember what has happened in the past. I'm skeptic why we do this. I'm skeptical that this has any value, um, even though it's a pretty good bet that the reason it's there is because something horrible happened in the past, and so that's a part of it as well. So let me quit interrupting and dig into this whole idea that talk gives doing context. No, talk gives context to doing. Doing, absolutely. So so really, I mean, once again, we've got these great rich narratives that have been captured. And it's really important that as part of that learning team process that those people participating are, are making sense of those narratives. But that sense needs to be both in terms of the barriers or controls that are trying to manage the hazard and how it releases energy, as much as looking at how those things are trying to influence people. Notice I won't say influencing behavior because that's I believe that's a that's a person's choice, not a system choice. Right, and I would, uh, my head would have exploded had you said influence behavior. I'd have been, uh, I'm heightened to that. So I would have pushed back pretty hard too, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so that that's where it became really important that I, I think organizational learning or worker learning is very much more focused around the human component, the dynamic of it and from a worker perspective. The organization is probably more focused around the alignment of the controls and mitigations around the hazard. Because it's that it's that loss of that, it's that either that prevention or that response or recovery to that loss as a thing that they can put a dollar amount against. Right. And and I've just been recently been watching um, some of the interesting conversations that have been happening in the US about the power losses. Mm-hmm. And how it was trying to be, you know, positioned. You know, were you four minutes from failure, or or did the systems hold out for enough time? And that, that po- sense? and that point of view is really significant, right? And it's a choice. Uh, in this case, it's a choice based upon many other drivers uh, that are socially, politically, emotionally involved in that. But I think you're right. How interesting! I never imagined. This conversation would come to come to this idea of organizational cost. Mm. That's um it really gives this idea that talk gives context to doing um almost a value proposition to the organization. So what you're really trying to do is show the organization how learning teams have value to action. Fair is that fair? I'm I'm putting words in you your know, mouth. It absolutely does. Because you know, if I go back to what I've been watching on TV. Um, the Inquisition, as I call it, um, the other party never gave, never had the ability to provide any context. Yeah, they were just being talking about why could, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Right, it was all action based. Right, and, and counterfactual based too. 
yeah, which, which, which yeah, I think something. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think learning really um, learning teams. The one thing learning teams do is they really provide a, a defense against the bias of counterfactual. Cause it's, it's hard to talk about what didn't happen because you're, you're pretty much only there to talk about what is happening. Like how work is accomplished. Are you, I think are you guys doing a lot of learning teams? I mean, how many are you doing now? Uh, every day. Yeah. Okay. But it's weird how, isn't that weird that, that at first you count them because they're these really discreet moments and then it becomes such an important tool in your toolbox that they just become how you do things. You, you end up doing them even if you didn't intend to do them, which is cool. I think what is different, Todd, is uh, very few of them now are event-based. I, so I'm nodding my head and no one can see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they don't really, well, so even if they're event, event-based, you don't talk about the event very much. D- do you notice that? Uh, so once again, we deliberately put 90%, so, sorry, go back to it. We've, we've formed this, as you know, I, lo- I love a good framework. So we've got this little triangle. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. And, and one part of the triangle is, uh, uh, you know, work is imagined or work is planned. The other, the other part of the triangle is, is, is what normal work looked like, work is done. And then the third part of the triangle was work on the day. And, and work on the day is the very last part of the conversation. And if we spent, say, 60 minutes around it, it would only be about 10 minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I even think that's that's probably a special case if you even get 10 minutes on it. Yeah. Because it, and, it, it hardly matters. I mean, the event, the, as crazy as this is going to sound, the event itself hardly matters. It's already happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's happened. It's correct. We we can't put the uh, how do they say it? We can't put the toothpaste back in the jar. No, you don't put toothpaste in a jar. Um, I can't put the the marmite back in the tube. The or Tim you're, Tams back in their package. You're probably more Vegemite. Are you? Is New Zealand more Vegemite or Marmite? Uh both. Okay, you can't put the uh, Tim Tams back in the package. That's a universal yeah. truism that everyone understands. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what's this taught you? What are you doing with this? Because that's really a relatively significant part of the conversation we should have. Well, well particularly, I mean, if organizations are trying to embed learning teams as an everyday activity, then understanding that, that story sharing must lead to doing becomes vital. Otherwise, the the learning team itself will lose its ability to assist the organization. Workers will still learn from it because they're hearing different perspectives. But the organization loses the value from that. Do you see the doing as a discreetly separate activity from the learning? Yes. I do too. So I I guess I I asked that as a trick question. I was trying to trick you. I was totally trying to entice you down a blind alley and then attack you, no. but it failed. Um, the Whether soap time is needed, that, that varies. That varies. I find soap time, so I know, for instance, Bob Edwards absolutely 100% believes in it. I find soap time does something for me. So I think soap time has value, absolutely, because you think of crap that you didn't think of before. But what mm-hmm. I find it does for me is it allows me to put an artificial d- 
division between learning and fixing. So mm-hmm. it, because I build soak time in, I can say this first meeting, we're just going to stay in learning mode and keep them in the analysis and discovery phase because the need to fix problems is really attractive. I mean, really attractive. Like I fall for it all the time. You know, I'm like, oh, I can fix that now. I can fix it immediately. And, and I, I think sometimes the learning team, the, the way the narrative weaves, it leads itself to that with, without needing that physical separation. Right. However, we always make sure no matter what we do, we are always doing some form of reflective follow-up. Nice. Nice. Because that has to happen regardless. So any hints for anybody? What, what, what would you tell people? What's, what's your recipe for success today? It'll change tomorrow, but what is it today? It's always changing. In actual fact, we are about to release next month the PDCA model for learning teams facilitation. Nice. Um, as you know, I, lo- I love a bit of framework. And you're making all the quality people really happy. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong. You know, PDCA has its place. Yeah, no, and no doubt. We've just been working on this big piece of work around how to establish psychological safety in a learning team. Right. As part of your planning process. Right. And, and that will vary as to whether leaders are looking to introduce or be part of that early phase. But what we've been focusing on is what does psychological safety mean in a learning team? So, so ra- rather than, because a, a lot of talk at the moment around psychological safety is what it is. Right, well... I'm saying, well, how how do we create it? How do we establish it? Yeah, my theory on that is that everyone likes the term psychological safety, but nobody's really read the literature. And I know that because when they act like psychological safety is a yummy, woolly sock in which everyone feels comfortable, then I know they haven't read the literature, which says psychological safety is really a shared, a felt sense or a shared shared sense of candor. I mean, they, yeah. the ability to, to speak the truth, which is, is really interesting as well. Brent, this was amazing, man. Any final yeah, words? But, well, look, I, I think like everything else, um, if, if you're looking to come in and try a learning team, my, my words these days would be don't choose an event. Simply go out and try and be curious around an existing process. Run a learning team around that because then you've got no emotion involved. Yeah. If you've got emotion involved, then there is a higher need for that psychological safety. Yeah. Can I can I even replace the word emotion with drama? Drama? Absolutely. Yeah, no drama. Sure. No drama. Uh, no drama. Because I think that puts a lot of tax on the facilitator if they're not used to it. And it can move them from that facilitator mode back into their expert mode. And then, as you know, we move back into weaponization. Yeah. Yeah. We fall prey. There you have it. I love any podcast that ends with, we move into weaponization. That makes us sound kind of important and intelligent and amazing. So thinking about learning like this, uh, especially engaged learning with groups of workers, understanding how work happens, thinking about it in the macro is really an interesting exercise. Because what it's done is it's, it's, it's really put a layer of depth. And what's happening is there's becoming a layer of, of sort of academic underpinnings, the, the science behind it. 
is becoming much more understood. There's always been good science around storytelling and, and, uh, narrative narrative analysis you know how people talk and really it's true talking does allow you a vantage point into way ways that people are thinking the underpinnings of of what's happening the local rationale but it's interesting to move it further and the idea that you can go out and observe work in a curious way sort of a humble inquiry if i can quote Edgar Schein, and I can because I just did. So that's clearly I have permission to do that because I did it, right? That actually, I think, gives us a much better understanding of not only what our organization does. I think we have a pretty good understanding of what our organizations do, but the more deeper, less mysterious how it happens. Because groups exist to perform functions. Companies exist to perform functions. That's what they do how it happens is really very important for us to understand and create a sense of not only the psychological safety buzzword, which is getting a lot of use, but also really understanding how to engage people in problem identification and solution identification, which is just what Brent's talking about. Only he's putting some underpinnings. Their, their book is great. If you've not read it, it's, it's a, it's a great romp through understanding the process of learning teams. And then they've got all sorts of associated web pages and, and other things, supplemental information that goes with it. All in all, it's cool. It's really cool. And I think it's only going to make the world a better place. It certainly is improving workplaces everywhere. And isn't that the goal? So that's it. That's the podcast for today. Learn something new every single day. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, you know, smash that like button. You can tell I listen to a lot of YouTube. Be kind to each other. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.